as we uh, again go through this study here tonight, again, realize that this study will focus on receiving eternal life, and it'll uh, focus on that particular uh, thought here tonight, and uh, so we'll be considering that here tonight. So again, we're going to consider here tonight uh, how to reach out once again, and tonight we'll be looking at eternal life uh, Bible study number three, but before we begin in that study, I'd like us to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 9, John chapter 9, in uh, John chapter 9, again, I'm not going to look at the details really of John chapter 9, I plan some time to go through the book of John, I don't know when that's going to happen, it's been one of those books I've wanted to go through before, and maybe I'll go through that here pretty soon, we'll see, but uh, in John chapter 9, we find a case of a blind man getting his sight, and also a blind man coming to salvation. And so we're going to consider some thoughts from here in this Bible study uh, that we also are going to look at here tonight. But let's begin uh, reading in John chapter 9, kind of a long chapter, but let's go ahead and, and uh, read here, beginning in verse number 1. It says, And as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. And disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, Neither hath this, this man sinned, nor his parents, but that the works of God should be manifest in him. I must work the works of him that sent me, while as day the night cometh, when no man can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Then he that had thus spoken, he spat on the ground, and made a clay of spittle, and he anointed the eyes of the blind men with clay. And he said unto him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam which is an interpretation sent. And he went this way, therefore, and, and washed and came seeing. And the neighbors thereof, and, and they that were before had seen him that was blind, said, Is not this he that sat and begged? Some said, This is he. Others said, He is like him. But he said, I am he. Therefore said he unto him, How were thine eyes open? And he answered and said, A man that is called Jesus made clay, anointed my eyes, and said unto me, Go to the pool of Siloam and wash. And I went and washed, and I received sight. Then said they unto him, Where is he? And he said, I know not. And they brought to the Pharisees him that aforetime was blind. And it was the Sabbath day when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. Then again, the Pharisees also asked how he had received his sight, and he said unto them, He put uh, clay upon mine eyes, and I washed, and do see. Therefore said some of the Pharisees, This man is not of God, because he keepeth not the Sabbath day. Others said, How can a man that is a sinner do such miracles? And there was a division among them. And they say unto the blind man, What sayest thou of him? And he that had... It hath opened thine eyes, and he said, He is a prophet. But the Jews did not believe concerning him, and he that had been blind and received his sight, until they called the parents of him that had received his sight. And as they asked them, saying, Is this your son, who, ye say, was born blind? How then doth he now see? And his parents answered them and said, We know not, uh, we know that, this is our son, and that he was born blind, but by what means he now seeth, we know not. And, uh, and who hath opened his eyes, we know not. 
He is of age, ask him. He shall speak for himself. These words spake his parents because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had agreed already that if any man did confess that he was Christ, he should be put out of the synagogue. Therefore saith his parents, he is of age, ask him. Then answer, then again, sorry, called they the man that was blind and said unto him, Give God the praise. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered and said, Whether he be a sinner or no, I know not. One thing I know, whereas I was blind, now I see. Then they said, uh, uh, sorry, then said they to him again, What did he to thee? How open ye thy eyes? And he answered them, I have told you already, and ye did not hear. Wherefore, would ye hear it again? Will ye also be his disciples? Then they reviled him and said, Thou art his disciple, but we are Moses' disciple. And we know that God spake unto Moses, As for this fellow, we know not from whence he is. And the man answered and said unto him, Why, then, why herein? Is this marvelous thing that you know not whence he is, and yet he hath opened my eyes. Now we know that God heareth not sinners, but if any man be a worshiper of God and doeth his will, him he heareth. Since the world began, was it not heard that any man opened the eyes of one that was born blind? If, any, if this man were not of God, he could do nothing. And they answered and said unto him, uh, thou wast altogether born in sins, and dost thou teach us? And they cast him out. And Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and when he had found him, he said unto him, Dost thou believe on the Son of God? And he answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I might believe on him? And Jesus saith unto him, Thou uh, hast both seen him, and it is he that talketh with thee. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. I want to stop there tonight as we consider how one might obtain eternal life. We'll see that here from the word of God and also from this study to tonight. Father, thank you again for your word. Ask that you would just help us again to be able to study, rightly divide it, consider it here tonight. And for those who uh, have eternal life, they can rejoice in the fact that they have it and how they obtained it and how it was given to them. And for those who maybe who are not saved, they could see from the scriptures how might someone obtain eternal life. Again, just bless this time as we meet here and here tonight. We pray this in Jesus' name and for our sake. Amen. Now, I don't have any doubt that this man came to eternal life. I know initially in verse number 25, he just received his sight, whereas I was blind and now see. He certainly didn't understand exactly who Jesus was here to begin with, but he was a disciple of, of uh, the Lord Jesus, as it talks about that. In verse number 28, he had become a disciple somewhere along the way. And uh, again, maybe it was just this day, I don't know. Um, but they were Moses' disciples, and they were followers of him. It mentions that back in verse number 28 and around that passage there. Um, as we see the passage, again, uh, continue there. Um, he's asked by, he's put out of the synagogue, first of all, it says that in verse number 34, they cast him out. Why did they cast him out? Because he, he confessed in so many words he was the Christ. He was, again, someone who was going to study 
under Jesus Christ, etc. Um, yet he didn't really know exactly who he was. It says that in verse number 36, and he answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I may believe on him? He thought of Jesus as a prophet. He thought of Jesus in certain names. And then Jesus reveals himself to him, verse number 37, And Jesus saith unto him, Thou hast both seen him, and it is he that talketh with thee. And he said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped them. It goes on, I just want to read these last few verses here. And Jesus said, For judgment I come into this world, that they which see not might see, and they that which see might be made blind. And some of the Pharisees which were with him heard these words and said unto him, Are we blind also? And Jesus saith unto him, If ye were blind, ye should have no sin. But now ye say, We see wherein your sin remaineth. So we consider this passage here tonight. We see someone come, I believe, to salvation in the Son of God. He has asked this question, verse number 35, and it's worth again asking to each of you here tonight, dost thou believe on the Son of God? Dost thou believe on the Son of God? See, that's what it takes for someone to get saved, to believe on the Son of God. Before we get into the study, I just want to just mention a few suggestions when it comes to Bible study. Again, keep this in mind, again, if you're going to study with someone at some time. Uh, number one, pray for God to enlighten them when it comes to the study. The Word of God will do that, but you can certainly pray for God to enlighten them when it comes to the study. Secondly, uh, set, set aside time so you can study. And uh, make time if possible, if, if needful, maybe it's a week again, they, you have to change your schedule when it comes to a study with someone else. Uh, just make some time for that study. And uh, again, when it comes to these studies and between these studies, I encourage you again to give them gospel literature. I'm not going to give you a gospel literature here tonight, but I just want to point out it might be a good thing to give them at this point. Uh, the blue track, the gospel. The gospel. Again, that's an extensive study on the gospel. And certainly, again, something you can give them along the lines. You can give them maybe before they study it. You can make it somewhere along that pathway. But encourage them to read it from beginning to end. I know it's tiny print. And again, maybe for someone who's elderly, maybe you'd uh, maybe select a different track, etc. But uh, again, these studies, uh, the goal of these studies is to bring someone to eternal life. Again, you might want to invite in the church between studies. That depends on if you're doing that uh, locally or maybe you're not able to do that. But if you can't do that, maybe you, again, are encouraging them to listen to some audio sermons or participate in a church service of a good scriptural church somewhere around the world. Uh, again, maybe giving them some brochures on salvation, life, etc. So a lot of good chick tracks on the back table. Uh, again, encourage them to read through those too. Um, and then I just want to mention this also, uh, seek again to answer their questions mainly, if possible, between studies. You don't want to tie up a whole lot of time each time you do study. And so there's just some thoughts there on Bible study, and I'm just going to get right into the study that we have that I've handed out here tonight. And I want to begin over in John chapter 20, verse number 31, and you might want to just write that maybe at the top of this lesson might be a good place to start. Again, the reason for this, this study, especially number three, is to get them to the point where they could accept Jesus Christ as their Savior. They could accept Jesus Christ in salvation. And again, keeping in mind John chapter 20, verse number 31, 
But these things are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through him. Now, we don't know for sure, but it seems to indicate in John chapter 9 there, again, and I'm not going to go back there, but he seemed to be at that threshold where he was going to believe on Christ. He just needed to know who he was, and he needed to know more and all those kind of things in John chapter 9. And so we're going to consider some um, verses mainly out of John and Romans here tonight. And uh, let's begin here in John chapter 18 and verse number 13. What is the great question we all must answer sooner or later in life? And again, it mentions here in John chapter 18 and verse number 38, it's something Pilate asked. He said, Pilate saith unto him, Jesus, what is truth? And uh, when he had said this, he went out again unto the Jews and saith unto him, I find in him no fault at all. One of the great questions we need to ask in life, what is truth? And when we find the truth, you need to accept the truth. And I need to accept the truth. The day I got saved, May 27, 1989, I finally heard the truth about salvation. But what is truth? John chapter 8. Let's turn over there. John chapter 8. When you have the answer to this question, what effect can it produce in your life? Once one person comes and finds the truth, like this guy here in John chapter 9, this blind man who got his sight, uh, what effect can it have in your life or in anyone's life? John chapter 8, verse number 32, it says, And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. There's only one thing that can free people. It's the truth. There's only one thing that can uh, free someone who's in bondage to sin or is a servant of sin, as it mentions also in this chapter in John chapter 8 there. It's the truth that can free them. And so the knowledge of the truth can free. That's so important for people to really believe. Let's turn to John chapter 17. Then we need to say, you know, what is truth? Well, it's identified here in the Word of God in John chapter 17. It says, in his prayer to the Father, what did the Lord Jesus say is truth? And if you don't know this already, I'm sure you do. At least those people may be listening to me right now. Uh, what is truth? John 17, verse number 17, it says, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. And so what is truth? It's the word of God. What can free you? It's the word of God. The word of God is true, and it can set you free. Let's turn over to John chapter 7 there. What must we be willing to do if we are to know this truth or doctrine that comes from God? What are we to do with it? Uh, again, there's a lot of things one can do with it. Those people in John chapter 9, those religious Jews, they weren't accepting it. They weren't accepting that Jesus was the Messiah. In fact, they were so adamant against that, that if someone accepted him as the Christ, if a Jew accepted Christ there locally, they would put him or her or whoever it would be out of the synagogue. They would be excommunicated. And so John chapter 7, verse 16 says this, and 17 it says, And Jesus answered them and said, My doctrine is not mine, but he that sent me. If any man will do his will, he shall know 
of the doctrine, whether it be of God or whether I speak of myself. I want to read verse 18 also. It says, He that speaketh of himself seeketh his own glory, but he that seeketh his glory that sent him, the same is true, and there's no unrighteousness in him. There's no unrighteousness in Christ. And so what we must be willing to do if we are to know this truth, we need to accept it by faith. We need to accept it as true. We can, we can accept it. We can reject it. We can believe it. We can believe it not. Those things all stand before someone that hears the truth. Let's turn to John chapter 3. John chapter 3. When we do the truth, we come into what? When we do the truth, we come into what? John chapter 3, verse number 21. The Bible says, But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be manifest, that they are wrought or worked in God. He that doeth the truth cometh to light. And so when we do the truth, we come into what? We come into the light. And so this man, I believe as he was seeking to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, he was following the light that was given him. And that's all that God would have us to do. Follow the light that's given you, the light of the word of God, the light of truth, the light of Jesus, uh, the light that comes from the Bible. Turn to John chapter 8. Uh, it says, from what bondage will truth and the light of the gospel deliver us? Uh, John chapter 8, verse number 33 and verse number 34. It says, for the bread of God is he that cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. Then say they unto him, Lord, ever give us this bread. What can the truth, what can the light of gospel do for a person? They can help a person. Sorry, I read John 6. I should be reading John chapter 8. Sorry about that. John chapter 8, verse number 33 and verse 34. It says, They answered him, We be Abraham's seed, and were never in bondage to any man. And how sayest unto the unto sayest thou, ye shall be free? And Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto you, whosoever committeth sin is a servant of sin. So what kind of bondage can, can God, again, deliver us from this uh, sin's bondage? He goes on there and says, if we choose to reject the word of God or the oracles of God, does that change the truth in any way? Let's turn to Romans chapter 3. Someone might say, well, that's what you think the truth is. Uh, I mean, so my, again, you know, not necessarily this person studying with you, but maybe a person in general might say, uh, how do you know this is truth, whatever? Well, Romans chapter 3 here, in verse number 2 and verse number uh, 3, it says here, but every way chiefly, because thou, that, that unto them were committed the oracles of God, for what if some did not believe? Shall their unbelief make the faith of God without effect? God forbid. Yea, let God be true, but every man a liar, as it is written, that thou mightest be justified in thy sayings, and mightest overcome when thou art judged. You know, just because someone says, well, I just don't think this is the truth. Does that, 
Does that matter? The answer there certainly is no. Uh, they have printed out Hebrews chapter 10, verse number 26 through 27. It says, for if we sin willfully after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sin, but a certain fearful looking for of the judgment and fiery indignation. What if someone rejects the truth, knows the truth, hears the truth? Judgment awaits them. There's nothing that can help them to deal with their sin. But again, the truth. Uh, it says here, according to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 27, if we deliberately reject the truth of the gospel, is there any way of salvation, any way of salvation uh, that we can choose? The answer is certainly there's no. Is there another way? Someone says, I just don't like this way. I don't like the way of grace. I don't like the way of mercy. I don't like the way of humbling myself before God. I don't like the way of repentance towards God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. There's still not going to be a different way of salvation for you or anyone. Is it possible to justify by keeping the law of God? Now, we probably know the answer to that, but let's read these verses. Romans chapter 3, verse number 20. Can you... Be justified, but just keeping the law, trying to commit yourself to following the law, doing the law, being a good person, or being a religious person, keeping the law of God. Is that something that might perchance or maybe help justify you? John 3, verse number 20, the truth says this, Therefore, by the deeds of law, there should be no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. And then skip to verse number 28 there. John 3, verse 28. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. You don't have to do anything. There's nothing you can do. There's no obedience to the law that you can follow or anyone can follow that will help them in this area of salvation or eternal life. In fact, it says there in verse number 28, therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. So you're saved by grace, without works. That's certainly, again, something we could look at in more detail, but let's turn to John, or sorry, Romans chapter 10, verse number 3. It says, what are the two kinds of righteousness? That is rightness before a holy God. A man can pursue. I want to read Romans chapter 10, verse number 1 through verse number 3. The Jews, again, pursued a righteousness of their own. And there's a lot of people that will pursue a righteousness of their own. But again, this righteousness will not get them the righteousness they need. Romans 10, verse number 1, it says, Brethren, my heart's desire, the prayer to God for Israel, is that they might be saved. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness, and going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves to the righteousness of God. And I'm not going to go back to John chapter 9, but they had their righteousness. Hey, we have Moses. That's, that's who we follow. We follow the righteousness of keeping the law of God. And to us, at least to, and from their perspective, they believe that was enough. Seeking to to, again, just practice the law. And if you practice the law, they thought that they could be right with God. But Paul says, 
you guys aren't even saved. He says in verse 1, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. Why? Because they're seeking a, a different way of righteousness. And so, again, what two kinds of righteousness are there? There's your own righteousness, which is men's sincere, God's righteousness. They establish their own righteousness, which again was not a true righteousness. And they establish a religion of righteousness by the law, rather than a righteousness that is by faith. That's where the Jews struggle. That's where the Jews fell short. That's where everybody does. It goes on here and says, to receive eternal life to which of these two above, your own righteousness or God's righteousness, must one be submitted to? Well, it says there, they have not submitted to the righteousness of God. So they're not saved. Until someone submits to the righteousness of God, the way that God would have you to become right before God, you can't be saved. doesn't matter if you're zealous, as they were, or religious. You're not going to be saved. Turn to Romans chapter 3. You could be a good Christian, so-called, a good Baptist, a good Jew, a good Gentile, a good person in a lot of different ways, but without the righteousness of God, you can't be saved. But that Righteousness is not by the law, it's by faith. Romans chapter 3, verse number 28. How is a person justified before God? And I want to add a few verses to this. In fact, if I did this study with someone else, I would back up to verse number 23 here. Romans chapter 3, verse 23. says, For all of sin and come short of the glory of God. Well, that's review in a sense. But it establishes that we're sinners and we come short of the glory of God. And we can't establish our righteousness before God. But it mentions there being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, who God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood, to glare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God, to declare, I say, at this time, his righteousness that he might be just, and a justifier him that believeth in Jesus. Where is boasting that? It is excluded. But what, uh, why, by what law? Of works? Nay, but by the law of faith. Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. There's a lot of people confused there. They think, hey, we got to do things, and then Jesus does for us too can't have that kind of faith. That's a mixed up kind of faith. You come short, the Bible says, of the glory of God, and you can be justified freely by what? His grace. That's important. And through, the Bible says, through faith in his blood. As truly believing by the blood of Jesus Christ, you can receive forgiveness of sin. Faith in his blood. That's how we can be justified. How could we justify verse 28? We conclude that we are justified by faith without the deeds of the law. And those things are, need to be separated. For the Jew, he had to reject righteousness by the law and see faith in Christ only. And every person needs to see faith in Christ only. Faith in the blood of Jesus Christ only. How is this faith produced? We read on here, Romans chapter 10, verse number 17. How is faith produced? It's produced through the word of God. 
as it mentions here in Romans chapter 10, verse 17. So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. How can you get that faith to be saved? It doesn't come through the church. It doesn't come by any means, but through the hearing of the word of God. And as one hears the word of God and then believes it, receives it, they can have a faith that saves. Just want to mention here, just before that, he says, believing what God says in his word, the Bible, and acting upon it is called faith. And if you go to Hebrews 11, I'm not going to have you go there to hear tonight, that's what faith is. It's hearing something and acting upon it. Abraham was told to go to a place, and he went there. Noah was told to build an ark, and he did it. You go on and on. You could look at that Hebrews chapter 11 there. Faith always is a, a, a belief that leads to action. And so how is faith produced? It's produced by the word of God. Moving on there, John chapter uh, 5, verse 24. What must, follow, what must follow the hearing of God's word in order to have everlasting life? What must follow to have everlasting life? Uh, if you want everlasting life, how are you going to get it? That's kind of what this study is centered around. If you want to receive eternal life, how can you get it? John chapter 5 and verse number 24. John 5 and verse number 24. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that hath sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. One must follow the hearing of the word of God. Just hearing it? You just hear it, you get, you get faith just by hearing it? No, you hear it, and you believe it, and you believe on him. And uh, the Jews, they were given that opportunity to, to look to the Lamb of God, they had the opportunity to look to Christ in salvation, they had the ability to reject the following of the law, the salvation, if you were, that they were trying to obtain by works, which a lot of people, they, they think, again, they need to uh, get their salvation by works or following the law, they were to reject that and turn from that to faith simply in Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 4, Romans chapter 4, verse number 5. You know, there's people today, they, they'll, they'll say, you know, I have my faith in Jesus, but you know, you got to do works too. And they're confused on this whole issue of grace. The faith that we have must be one without works, centered upon grace. That is God giving you something that you do not deserve. And so what does, uh, for what does God count believing on the Lord? What, what does that lead to or what does that lend to? Again, I'm going to have you read a couple extra verses here, starting in verse number three. It was Abraham that believed on Christ. And that mentions here Romans chapter four, verse number three. It says, for what saith the scripture? Abraham believed God and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Now in him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of death. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. And so how can your faith be counted for righteousness? You've got to believe that you're ungodly and that by grace you can be saved. Not by your works, not by the good things you might do or think you can do for God but you must simply believe on him. Abraham believed God and was counted to him for righteousness. 
We're not going to turn back to Genesis 15, but I, if you want to write that off the side, it might be that someone would want to consider, like, when did Abraham do this? When John, in Genesis chapter 15, when he heard about the promise again of having heirs, he believed God concerning it. He believed God's word concerning it, and that's when he obtained righteousness, by believing what God had said. Let's turn to Romans chapter 10. What kind of belief are we talking about? With what do you believe unto righteousness? Let's go ahead and look at Romans chapter 10. How do you believe unto righteousness? Someone says, we simply think about it and contemplate it. And you might think about it and you might contemplate it. But it needs to move from just thinking about and contemplating a heart kind of, a head kind of belief to a heart kind of belief. And that's where in Romans chapter 10, which talks about the righteousness of God. Again, if, if, you, if you have time and this person really, really wants to study more, you can read through these verses in between. But let's pick up there in verse number 9. It says, uh, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thy heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. With what do you believe unto righteousness? The heart or the head? With the heart. That means, you know, it's not just some, I believe it. Like the simple believe every word. Because the simple do believe every word. You know, I believe this. No, believing is truly trusting it. It's a confidence. It's a trust in the Lord. It's a trust in the scriptures. It's a trust that Jesus is indeed the Christ, the Messiah, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. And I, I believe that, not just with my head. I believe that with my heart. Let's turn to John chapter 5 there. John chapter 5. Who did Jesus say is the main theme of the Bible? Who is the scriptures written mainly or mostly about? Again, John chapter 5, verse number 39. Jesus saying this to the Jews there again to his disciples. It says here, search the scriptures, for in you think you have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. Who's the central theme in the scriptures? Jesus Christ is. There they, the scriptures, testify of me. If you look at the scriptures, you'll see Jesus. You'll see Jesus in the Old Testament sacrifice. You'll see Jesus in Abel. You'll see Jesus in, again, others in the Bible. You'll see Jesus in Joshua. You'll see Jesus in many of the different things that occurred in the Bible. You'll see Jesus there. And so... It says here in, in, in the 17th thing, it says, who did Jesus say is the main thing of the Bible? It's himself. You can look back in this chapter and it talks about the son and the father. It talks about the son. Kiss the son. It says in the book of Psalms. It talks about the son and him being cursed in the book of Psalms. It talks about the son being crucified. It talks about the resurrection of the son. It talks about the savior, the son the Messiah, the Son returning, the Son of God. It's all centered around Him. Let's turn to John chapter 4. What can permanently satisfy the thirst of a soul? John chapter 4, verse number 14. What can permanently satisfy the thirst of a soul? John chapter 4, 
In verse number 14, it says, But whosoever drinketh the water that I shall give him shall never thirst, but the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. What can permanently satisfy the thirsty soul? This everlasting life that Jesus Christ can give a person. John chapter 4, verse 14, it goes on here, it says, Who or what is the source of this satisfaction? It's Jesus. For whosoever drinketh the water that I shall give him. What's the source of this? It's eternal life given to us by Jesus Christ. John 7, verse 37, whom does Jesus invite to come to him? You know, Jesus came in this world to be the son of man, to seek and to save that which is lost. Uh, who is it that Jesus would have come to him? To just certain people, the elect, as the Calvinists would say? Or is it any man and everyone? John chapter 7 and verse number 37 it says here, in the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood up and cried, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Can you imagine him saying those things? He's pointing to himself. Whom does Jesus invite to come to him? says there clearly in verse 37, if any man thirsts. Anyone, any person, no matter where they are spiritually, no matter where they are in life, God would have them to come to him. Is salvation only offered to a select few? Let's turn to John chapter 3, verse number 16. Some might think, again, there's only certain people that might get saved. They call sometimes them the elect. Again, that's a misuse of the word elect in the Bible. But again, we don't have time to look at that here tonight. Is salvation only offered to a select few? John chapter 3, verse 16, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Is it for a select few? No, it's not. How do I know that? Those words in verse number 16, that whosoever believeth. Whosoever, it doesn't matter where they are. It doesn't matter if they're criminal. doesn't matter if they're religious. doesn't matter if they're Jew, Gentile. doesn't matter if they're African, American, whatever it might be. Whosoever, they can be saved. Let's turn to Romans chapter 10, verse number 13. Romans 10, verse 13. <clears throat> and so whosoever is you, if you're not saved. Whosoever is your neighbor. Whosoever is... The guy at work that needs to hear the gospel. The guy maybe that lives across the street from you or the gal again who you meet on a regular basis, maybe at a park or some other place, and that person needs to be saved. Might be someone in your family or outside your family. Romans 10, verse number 13 says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Who's salvation for? It's not for a select few. No. For whosoever is for anyone. And says, what word in these two passages leads you to give this kind of an answer? Whosoever. Whosoever meaneth me, the song says. What does Romans chapter 6, verse 23, call eternal life? 
It's good for us, again, to see Romans 6.23, because this really, I think, helps somebody understand when it comes to what eternal life is about. Eternal life, what does Romans 6.23 call eternal life? Notice here it says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. What is eternal life? It's a gift. It's a gift. Every one of us have gotten presents. Every one of us has gotten gifts. And when it comes to presents and gifts, they're voluntarily given to us, and they're not paid for. They're given to us to be received, and we must receive gifts. And so it mentions here as we go on, it says, must a gift be earned or paid for by the one who receives it? No. No, wages... Of sin, you can get death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You don't pay for presence. You don't pay for eternal life. Life is given as a gift. And so we need to wrap our heads around that, so to speak. It's a gift. It's not a works. It's a gift. And for some people, that's so hard for them to see because their religion says, work, work, work. Follow the law, law, law. They, they got in their head like the Jews did. It's by following Moses and the commands. It's by following the church and their demands and following this or that or following rules or regulation. That's how maybe you'll get eternal life. If you do good, so to speak, and you do all these things and you follow all these different things, maybe you'll get eternal life in the end. So many people think salvation is of works. It's not a gift. And so you're just trying to show them that. Eternal life is, is only received through who? Romans 6.23, it says there, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. He's right from his point of view. He's our Lord. And for, again, a person who gets saved, he's your Lord. Eternal life comes through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And so we see in the Bible, God gives the gift of himself, gives the gift of eternal life, through his son, Jesus Christ. Let's turn to John chapter 10. Who or what did Jesus say is the only door of salvation? John chapter 10, verse number 9. It says, I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and shall find pasture. I just want to read 11 too, since we're already there. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. And so he laid down his life for you as a shepherd so that you might be saved and become one of his sheep. And so who or what did Jesus say is the only door of salvation? He is. I am the door. First Timothy chapter 2, verse number 5, For there is no, there's one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. There's no go-between between us and God, but Jesus, he's the door. Mary's not the door. The church is not the door. Confirmation's not the door. Communion's not the door. We go on and on. Works aren't the door. Jesus is the door. Acts 4, verse 12. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Salvation through Jesus, or we will not be saved. Is there any other way for us to come to God, the Father? Let's turn to John chapter 14. You want to go to heaven. You want to see the Father. You want to experience the splendor of heaven, the beauty of heaven. You want to be with the redeemed again someday. You want to be with loved ones that, loved ones that may have gone before you. How can you get there? 
through Jesus only. John 14, verse number 2, In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And whither I go, you know, and the way you know. And Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? And Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Come to Jesus. He's the door. Come to Jesus. He's the Savior. Come to Jesus. He's the Lamb. One could go on and on, but you must come to him. You must trust the truth that the Bible talks about the reason that Jesus came. Let's turn back to John chapter 20. We've looked at this verse in our study before, but we'll come back here again. In uh, John chapter 20, in instructing Thomas to put his hand in his size, what did Jesus ask him to do? After instructing Thomas to put his hand in his side, what did Jesus ask him to do? John chapter 20, at verse number 27, it says, Then saith he to Thomas, Reach hither thy finger, and behold thy, my hands, and reach hither thy hand, and thrust it into my side, and be not faithless, but believing. This is important. Be not faithless. Don't be someone who doesn't believe what the truth of the Bible says. Be not faithless, but believing. Did Thomas believe? Well, what does the Bible say there in verse number 28, 29? It says, And Thomas uh, answered and said unto him, Lord, uh, My Lord and my God, and Jesus saith unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen, yet have believed. What were the first words spoken by Thomas? What were the first words spoken by Thomas after he believed? It says there, my Lord and my God. I believe, again, it's needful and necessary for us to understand that Jesus is both Lord and he is God. We've seen that in the studies before. He's the creator of this universe. He's the God of heaven. He's the Lord. He's the master. He's not just a teacher. Again, John 9, you see again that blind man says, hey, he seems to be a prophet. And then he declared who he was, and he believed on him. John chapter 20, verse number 29, can you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ even though you have not seen him? It says he can. Verse 29, Jesus saith unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet believe. Can you believe on the Lord having not seen him? Yes, you can. Say, so how does that faith come? Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. We read about Jesus. We hear about Jesus. We see him in both the Old and New Testament. We believe on the Lord Jesus Christ that we might be saved. What did Jesus ask the man that was healed from his blindness? Let's turn back to John chapter 9. What did he ask him? We looked at this and uh, considered this. In John chapter 9, in verse number 39, uh, 35, it says that Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And when he had found him, he said unto him, Dost thou believe on the Son of God? And he answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I might believe on him? See, he knew he needed to believe on him. 
And Jesus saith unto him, Thou hast both seen him, and it is he that talketh with thee. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. What did Jesus ask the man that he had healed from blindness? Do you believe I'm the Son of God? That's a good question to ask tonight. Do you believe that he's the Son of God? That's a question we ask kind of at the beginning of the message. Do you believe he's the Son of God? Be not faithless, but believing. John chapter 20 says that. What were the first words spoken by this man after he believed? In John chapter 9, verse number 38, it says, and he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. I believe. I believe you're the Son of God. I believe that you're that one that we're to believe on. That's what he believed. What must a person do to be saved? Let's turn back to Romans chapter 10, and I just going to add to this a little bit here, and I would do this if I was studying with them. I'd have you read a couple more verses there. Romans chapter 10, verse number 8 through verse number 10. Romans chapter 10, verse number 8 through verse number 10. I want them to understand what believing on the Lord Jesus Christ means. And uh, again, that's good to come back here. Romans chapter 10, verse number 8. It says, And what saith it? The word is nigh unto them, even in his mouth, and in thy heart, that is the word of faith which we preach. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the, the, the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. We'll skip through these verses, but you can read through them possibly with them too. Verse 13, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. What must a person do to be saved? They must believe the gospel message. They must believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. They must believe unto righteousness by believing in the blood of Jesus Christ can cleanse them from their sin. And then there's a little insert here. Now suppose you were to say to the Lord these things, Dear Lord in heaven, knowing that I am in your sight, am a sinner, and that Christ died for the ungodly. You need to realize that. And desiring with all my heart to turn from my sin and from myself, I now receive you as your Son, Jesus Christ, into my heart as my personal Lord and Savior, from henceforth to live for him who loved me and gave himself for me. And then the question is here, if you come to Christ in this way, Will he save you? Let's turn to John chapter 6. If you come to Christ and you desire to be saved and you understand that Jesus is the Savior, the only Savior, you see him as a door, you see him as that Lamb of God, you see him as that one you need to look to to find eternal life in. If you come to Christ this way, will he save you? If you believe on him. And the Bible says, and I'll have you just add this if you'd like, Verse 29, and Jesus answered and said unto him, This is the work of God, that you believe on him whom he has sent. That's a pivotal verse in the Bible. Verse 37, it says here, All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will no wise cast out. If you come to Christ, believing on him, will you be saved? Certainly will be, just like this blind man. 
And I'm just going to have you add this, if you will, Luke chapter 18. Again, if you're not just doing a John Roman study and you have someone maybe who has the Bible there with them, I'd have you turn over to Luke chapter 18, verse number 10 through verse number 14. And I do this just to reinforce the fact that people that want to be saved must see themselves as a sinner, needing the mercy and grace of God. And you see this in this parable, and you see this in this publican in Luke chapter 18. And so I just want to read through this quickly. Luke chapter 18, verse number 10. Two men went into the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee, the other the publican. And the Pharisee stood and played thus with himself and said, God, I thank thee that I'm not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as a publican. In other words, I'm not ungodly. I'm good. I'm righteous. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all I possess. And the publican standing afar off would not lift so much his eyes unto heaven, but spoke upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. How did this publican get justified? By seeking the mercy of God by seeking the gift of God, by seeking salvation, not something that he deserved, but that God had provided for him. Let's go on here. John chapter 5, verse number 40. If you have not received eternal life, what can be the only reason for this? Well, John chapter 5, verse number 40. The Bible says here, and we've been here before, but let's read here again. John chapter 5, verse number 40. We looked at verse 39. And ye will not come to me that you might have life. If you have not received eternal life, what's the only reason for this? You haven't come to Jesus Christ for it. Because that's the only person who can give it to you. We can have the gift of God, which is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans chapter 6, verse 23 talks about and then it asks this question, have you personally come to Jesus Christ and received the gift of eternal life? Have you done that? You know, I have X'd out here, yes. But I think it's a good thing to maybe tell them that you have, if you have. Yet I wrote down here, May 27, 1989. When and where? May 27, 1989 in Dilworth, Minnesota. I was born first, October 25, 1969 in Pelican Rapids, Minnesota. And I was born again in Dilworth, Minnesota. They have read through, hopefully, John chapter 3 that talks about the new birth. And I was born first there, again, in 1969. I was born again in 1989. And uh, again, you might want to uh, talk to them about your salvation experience a little bit. Anyways, verse 20, uh, last part, it says, Do you believe then that Jesus... Christ has saved you. I believe that, yes. Can one absolutely be sure that they have eternal? Yes, they can. The fourth and final study of this series will show you the certainty and security of God's eternal salvation. While you are waiting for this next lesson, finish reading through the Gospel of John in the book of Romans. Do you have any questions? If so, please write them down. Include them with this study. Thank you for completing this third study. We hope it will be helpful in leading you to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. He alone 
bridge the infinite divide between sinful men and a holy God. With his outstretched arms on the cross, Christ paid for your, your great sin debt by becoming a sin bearer, therefore satisfying the righteous demands of an infinite God, enabling a full and free salvation from an infinite, uh, infinitely loving God at the cross. Mercy and truth are met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. Psalm 85, verse 10. And so eternal life, how do you receive it? By believing on the Son. Again, John chapter 10 and uh, verse number 35. Dost thou believe on the Son of God? And he answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I might believe on him? And Jesus saith unto him, Thou hast seen him, and is he that talketh with thee? And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. Again, a good study. Let's close as we consider the word of God here tonight.